Hi, I'm Verite, and you're listening to Anatomy of an Artist, a podcast about people, the art they create, and the business behind the art. Welcome back to episode one, season two of Anatomy of an Artist. My guest today is Kimbra, someone who I have been a fan of for so many years. A multi-dimensional, Grammy award-winning artist, songwriter, producer, author, podcast host, whose career has spanned well over a decade. She has such incredible insights, so let's dive in. So it's been really interesting doing this with people in real life, and I find that it changes the whole dynamic. Half of my podcasts were maybe Zoom interviews, but majority actually, maybe more than half, were in person. I brought those little USB mics, yeah, plugged them into the computer, went out to LA to meet with Bethany Joy Lenz and Jedediah, um, and then other times they would come to my house. And it is so much better in person. Don't yeah. you think, than Zoom? I think that... It depends, but... Zoom feels much more like an exchange of questions and answers. Yes. And in person feels much more like we're having a conversation. Hanging out. Yeah, and especially starting the podcast, I started this in COVID. So it was a necessity for the beginning to have it be Zoom. But you've been, I feel like, moving into all of these, maybe not different mediums, but mediums kind of surrounding the core of what you do, which it feels like, you know, obviously you're a musical artist. Um, but I want to talk about the writing you've been doing and the podcast and these things that maybe aren't necessarily music and what was your motivation to kind of branch out into these different ways? Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's something you've thought a lot about too, because, you know, we are never just one thing. Of course, we use the vehicle of music to express ourselves, but, uh, I'm sure you're similar in the sense that you have many forms of self-expression, whether that might be visual art or... Um, yes, just pen to paper in your notebook, um, perhaps uh, dance, perhaps acting. I mean, these are all fields of creativity, and I've dabbled in all of them in different ways. Um, but I think the last few years especially have been a journey of trying to trace back the most fundamental sort of core tenets or, or values or something that that inform my creativity and personhood because truthfully, I think that's what we are offering as artists, right? Is we're offering our, our personhood, and maybe even more importantly, we're offering our worldview. Sacred thing. Everyone has a different worldview, and we are all learning about the world through each other. We are reflecting back to one another our, you know, our view of the world. So I have chosen to do that through music, and now I find music a fantastic vehicle for doing that because you can paint with sound, and as you know, there is no end to what you can do with sound it is truly infinite and absolutely psychedelic you know and then you have words and you marry words with melody and of course rhythm which is probably the most important of those three for me um so one might say do you need anything else you know you've got it all in music but I think there's something about the nakedness of poetry and say uh long-form essays reflections that are done without music that actually they do serve a purpose that music can't and I think it's the ability to interpret them in such different ways you know that feeling you have when you you read something that is just set against the stark canvas of white paper there's nothing no adornment there's no decoration it's just such a simple endeavor it's so layman and I think more and more I've been drawn to that simplicity um and realizing that I have a chronological documentation of my entire life in journals. And within those journals are poems, fiction writings, essays, all kinds of things that I've always thought, no one would really want to read that. You know, I'm a musician, stay in your lane. Well, that's what they say, right? Stay in your lane. <laughs> Every time a singer tries to get political or something, stay in your lane. It's like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I understand it in certain settings, sure, but for artists, isn't that the whole point? Is that we are to speak to our culture, speak to our worldview, venture outside of 
the conformist lanes that we've been sort of assigned? Isn't that the whole point? It is. It's, it's an interesting point because it is, I think, when you look at the fundamentals of artistry, and then it almost isn't when you look at the business of artistry, right? Mm. And maybe it's the friction between those two things that we probably get caught up in where it's like the the very pure nature of what it is to have self-expression and to create something battling up against the societal expectations of what an artist should be within an industry or should be as like a public facing and a brand yeah exactly Keep the brand uh clear that's a very big you know um, incentive for music musicians to stay musicians. Don't veer too far out of, especially in the pop landscape. Oh yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like there's very much, and there and there's good reason for it. It certainly is a more lucrative path in many ways. You know, to be like very clear about your brand. You turn up in the same way. You present a product. You present a personhood. Mm-hmm. You present a personality, and it works. And it does the thing time and time again. Now, I don't judge anyone for that, and I've certainly done that myself in many ways you know I've turned up in a a way that fulfills an expectation people have of me but then I've also defied that expectation time and time again as well consciously um now you know some examples of that are perhaps my venture into exploring silence in my shows you know I I don't think silence is something we get to explore much at a pop music concert um definitely not no, and I think that's the rebel in me that's that's dissatisfied and disillusioned mm-hmm. with um, the prescribed role of pop musician. Um, you know, it's funny. When I get passionate, I tend to be a little bit all or nothing. So, you know, I said, well, artists should always be breaking out of their lane. I think there is a point to that. I think if I were to take up you know, talking about science tomorrow with some kind of authority and really trying to, you know, be the leading voice in an area of science or something, it it would be ridiculous. And I understand that, like, we are called to certain lanes because we're, you know, have expertise within them and (laughs) we're good at them and we have perspective that's valuable to people. I would never claim to have knowledge in certain areas. And so there's there's certainly a line, you know. But, But I guess what I'm trying to say is that we just a lot of people hold themselves back from expressing their truth and their their multifaceted artistry for fear of judgment, that it will fall outside of what people expect of you. And I just think that's a great sadness, you know, to not be pushing into these other realms. You know, I, I like to paint. I don't think I'm very good at painting. Mm. But you know what? It, it <laughs> There's heart in it. There's soul in it. And you like it. And like I sometimes like it. <laughs> liking something is enough. Having mm. it fulfill something inside of you gets to be enough. And I think we're in a culture that conditions you that every output that you have as a person, especially as an artist, again, going back to like the business, it's like needs to be monetized, needs to fulfill the consumer mm. brand. Right. And it's like, if you like painting, just fucking paint, yeah. right? Yeah. And not every hobby or passion or outlet needs to then become a monetized brand. But again, it's like we're so conditioned to this. And I, 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 find, I just find this all very fascinating because it's something I rub up against a lot. This idea of there is the pure essence of like, again, art and self-expression, and then there is the business of how we sustain ourselves utilizing those tools. And when we merge those two things, are we actually changing the DNA of of what it is? Mm, that's and, interesting to think about. And I, I actually read an interview where you talked about artist service, and I think that, honestly, I think the DNA it changes it too is to a service to other people and you can you know I choose to try and view that service as something that is for the people for my audience Mm. etc and then for some people maybe that's more of a transactional service depending on what your goal and intention is yeah but I find that to be just an interesting dynamic especially for someone like you like you've had such 
a long and dynamic career that has taken so many turns. So I want to like pull it all the way back for a second. Sure, yeah. When when you started your career, when you started making music and and had a desire to pursue it professionally, what was your idea of success? Oh, I mean, it probably does go back to service um, because I felt from an early age that I wanted to make a difference. And I, you know, really not trying to sound noble by saying that. I, it was truthfully what I cared about as a kid. I had a very deep desire to help others. I was the kid at school that always, <laughs> I don't know, I, I was not really a cool kid and I, I wasn't uber dorky. I, I was kind of hanging out with the theater kids and mm. then I also had some friends that were popular and then I also had some friends that were outcasts. But one running theme was that often I was the friend that you would you know, talk to about stuff you were going through and I, I, I enjoyed being there for people who were you know, I felt that I could be a good listener and a good um, observer of of di interrelational dynamics and stuff as a kid. And and when I began to perform, I I noted, you know, I noted that not only did this give me great joy, but it also appeared to really, really help other people and, and not help in the sense that, oh, my life's changed, but, you know, wow, you really transported me with that song or wow, I really felt less alone in that thing I'm going through because I, I was so confessional with my songs early on, you know, writing all about the heartbreak. Never had any heartbreak at, what, you know, 11 or something, but I was writing all about it. So I had no issue being very, uh, you know, self-revealing in my music from a young age. And that really, really appeared to help people. And so when you say, you know, what was your metric of success? It's a great question. And it's honestly something that at 33, I'm really actually now trying to define for myself, what does it mean to be successful? Because my career moved in such a whirlwind. There wasn't actually a ton of time to sit and reflect on the, that question in a very tangible way. For me, it was a very large and abstract, um, quote unquote, calling. Mm -hmm. Okay, so more of a, like a, I am compelled to do this. Mm. And I feel that there is a spiritual um, thread that's being woven through the work I'm doing as a singer, as a songwriter, and as a sound designer that's very important for the world. And again, that's not to be self-aggrandizing because everyone has something to offer and I'm not special in that way. But I, but I was lucky and blessed to know early on what what that probably was going to be, you know, what, what, that, what, that, what shape that was going to take. Yeah. Because a lot of people go all their 20s trying to find out where to fit in. Like, they're so good at so many things. And they're, I have so many friends like this girl, you know, who are like, they just, the jack of all trades. They have so many things they're good at. But it's so hard to ground into um, <laughs> a lane. <laughs> Stay in your lane. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's, uh, I'm lucky that I had that feeling, that deep gut feeling that, that success for me was going to be about doing, um, doing work hmm, that felt hmm, it's, it's tough to articulate, isn't it? Doing work that felt like it was, you know, deeply needed. And what I mean by that is like people are hungry. They're thirsting. People are thirsting for depth, for mm -hmm. substance, yeah. for connection. I encountered through, I believe, the grace of spirit and God this access to something. Mm -hmm. And I was shown that I could make a difference in that way. That's beautiful, man. You know, that humbles me. Because I had a very similar push. And I don't even think I felt it. I don't even think I felt it as I was doing it. But it was, when I look back on my trajectory, it was just this forward momentum to do this thing. Yep. That and a lot of it was exactly just so it. subconscious yeah. of, I don't know how I made it work with especially the weird, strange path that I've taken in life. And that's why the question is a little odd, right? It's a good question, but it is a little odd. Like, what was your idea of success from a young age? Because as you're articulating now, you weren't really sitting and strategizing. I for sure thought I was going to get, like, discovered on the train. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, one day someone was going to be like, you got it, kid. And then, but everything you else. You want to be a star, kid. But essentially, it's like what you, you're you're told from, you know, growing up in the essentially American Idol-like version. Definitely an American Idol thing. Of yes. success. Yes. That was the first time where it was like, 
oh, people like me, everyday people can essentially Honestly, get. I have a lot to say on all that, but it's a longer, longer oh, yeah. talk. <laughs> but, but it is interesting that you're saying that now at 33, those metrics are changing because it does sometimes become an ever moving target of um, goals and aspirations. And then, cause I'm also 33. So I'm having wow, these same conversations okay. with myself. It's literally like, Oh, so what is life? <laughs> if, if not the pursuit for me, at least of more mm. of, of, continuing to push yes so that is the perfect segue into what you started with right which is why move into publishing on substack yeah or starting a podcast well i think it's the hunger for more it yeah. is the hunger for more it's the hunger for um deeper connection with with the fan base with myself truthfully mm -hmm. and with spirit probably because that's yeah. that's how we grow is we push ourselves into the scary places and and spirit rewards your courage and sets a fire in you and, and then you fan the flame and, 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 and things evolve, which is what we're here to do, by the way. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> evolve. That's what our earth is doing all the time, expanding. You know, we know this scientifically. So why would we be any different? Um, so it has been very rewarding to, to step into spaces where I haven't, you know, mastered the craft or not to say I've mastered the craft of music god that sounds terrible but what I mean to say is I, I have given all of my adult life to the mastery of that craft so yeah. I feel well ad adept in that area I don't feel hugely adept in being a sort of quote unquote writer or a podcaster mm -hmm. this requires a whole new skill set as you know oh yes so we have to step into beginner's mind it's a very sacred thing in the buddhist you know tradition yeah beginner's mind you know, they even encourage you with some mindfulness techniques to just, you know, use your use your your left hand to write. If you're a if you're a right-handed person, just use your left hand for the day. I mean, it's unbelievably hard to re, you know, retrain your brain that way and and to turn up as a beginner with something you're so adept at doing, like writing. But God, you should try it one day. I mean, it will just show you what it looks like to turn up humble, like a child doing something, and you remember, oh, that's right. It really relieves the pressure too of yeah. like this idea of because I think it really in the last few years since COVID right COVID mm -hmm. saw me really starting to get into production awesome. right very beginner's mind of essentially like really getting into Ableton to now really like co-producing and producing that's records so of sick. my own that's so sick and it was the fear and being terrified that it just wasn't going to be good and then just letting it be not good for a minute yep. and actually just doing it, hitting a ceiling of capacity and then pushing through it. You hit a ceiling of capacity. Ooh, you're like, oh, I that. actually have to learn more. Maybe I need to pull someone in for insight. But the, you're right. It is just a really I, I keep thinking about writing with my right hand, though, and it's like. I feel like it it's it's literally hurts my brain does. to conceptualize what yeah. that would I mean I've done it of course but you're so right it is this humbling experience especially again it's like we're in I think a culture and society that really rewards the like the young master of their mm. craft right this perceived especially even on like TikTok how everyone is presenting themselves as an expert mm. on their field on medical stuff if you've ever been on like medical tiktok I everyone haven't. is a doctor oh is that right or not really but they're but, yeah. like i they're not <laughs> yeah. that's the point um right everyone is presenting themselves as uh teachers and you know learn from me etc and i think that a lot of what i find interesting is like maybe I'm not an expert, nor will I ever be an expert. So I love this just like humble mindset, especially with someone who has the career that you have with the length that it's been and all of the amazing things that you've done from early days of just having a calling to like the whirlwind that was getting signed, obviously, like the massive success of uh, somebody I used to know, et cetera. Can you tell me a bit about that whirlwind and the trajectory it set your career off in? And what was your mindset and experience within that kind of catapulting to this clearly different level? Right. Well, I guess there's there's parts of the story that are lesser known, which are 
um, the, the story of Bows, uh, my first album, I made that record before um, I ever met Gautier. Now, the reason I, I pinpoint that is that my life and career could have been very different if I had not. Yeah. So imagine if I had made that song, right? Shoots to, to number one in 18 countries. We're touring the world. It, you know, We don't need to go through the stats, but it's unbelievable how much that song sort of um, took off in ways we never saw coming. Now, if that had happened and I was then scrambling to put together a first record, can you imagine the pressure? Awful. Like, um, and, and then what, you wouldn't know which way to go because you'd be like, would I wanna, do I want to sound like that? Do I want to, what do I do? But my story is different because I was just a fan of Gautier. I said to my manager at the time, I want my record to sound as expansive and wide and sonically diverse as this record, which was his first album, like Drawing Blood. And I went ahead and made that record with that producer. Yeah. Then through that making of that record, Gautier, you know, asked me to be part of the song. But the album was done. In fact, I think it was even out before. It, it wasn't out in North America, but it was out in Australia and New Zealand. Now, this provided a beautiful foundation for me because I already had a body of work behind me. I could go tour it. I went out on the road opening for Gautier, then, of course, performing the song with him, then went straight on to a tour with Foster the People, who at the time were you know, just huge, right? They were doing Red Rocks. And so I was just one after the other hitting these huge support um, bills. Um, and I was able to sort of relish in the opportunities while all the time dreaming up what the second album would be. Mm -hmm. You feel me? So it wasn't yeah. about the first, because the first was done, that was out. And and it sounded quite different to go to. So in a, in a way that was kind of good, right? Because people... Yeah they didn't have that immediate thing of like, oh, she's always going to do these kind of heartbreaking, softer songs or whatever you, I mean, it's far more than a soft song. It's not really a soft song, but you know what I mean? Like my, the rest of my music was a lot more maybe character driven or kind of colorful. I don't know. What do you think? Colorful, vivacious, but there's like a bombastic yeah, quality, that's a good word, especially right. to that first record. It's very like exuberant. Exuberant. That's Man, a good... I just threw out a bunch of really no, good adjectives. That's a Let's good go. words. Good words. <laughs> yeah, right. And and honestly, Wally, um, who is Gautier, of course, um, wanted the exact opposite out of me. Mm -hmm. Right? He didn't want that exuberance. No, in, in that song no. is the opposite. It's, it's like a it, muted color palette. Exactly. And he wanted that. He said, I want you to sound less like a singer. I don't want you to sound like a singer. I want you to have a conversation with me. I don't want you to do your vibrato at the end. Mm. I just want you to sing it, but not as a singer. What a, it's a challenging ask, but all of that to say, I was able to straddle two worlds from the outset. Yeah. I was this, you know, half of a duet that was connecting on a soul, you know, sort of heart level with people. But yet I was playing all these wild characters. I was indulging all my Kate Bush influence and, and Prince and Minnie Riperton, all of the people I loved over in my vows world. Yeah. And all the while dreaming up what I would do for the second album with all the finance and resource and attention of Warner Brothers and a world stage. So it's an incredibly blessed position. It also has an incredible amount of pressure still. Yeah. Because you have to follow it up. But I'm just, I guess I'm just saying that it's much easier to follow up a moment like that with a second body of work rather than trying to like make your debut right after. And that's why I fundamentally disagree with a lot of these American Idol shows. Yeah. Because they promise a career to someone by shooting them up to the top with a single that might hit the charts. That's not a guarantee, but... They're rarely good. Right. And then you have to try to sustain a career out of that and follow it up with a body of work, which is a fucking hard thing to do. An album is a feat. And you should be very proud of yourself for for completing the albums that you have, you know? Yeah, it's it is it's like birthing a child. Yep. I've never birthed a child, but you know, I imagine it's the same <laughs> amount of labor and pain. <laughs> but I think that also there is this idea of especially in the American Idol-esque, right, shooting to the top, and I'm curious your experience with this when you're then working within a system that prescribes I don't know if you were signed to Warner before Vows. After Vows and Gautier, both of those things were making a splash on the internet. Yeah. And do you remember a blogger called Perez Hilton? Oh, yeah. I feel like <laughs> that's how much she got out somewhere. there, bro. <laughs> it's crazy. He wrote about Settle Down and that like reached Warner Brothers. But, but you know, 
I was on this trajectory already. I had a manager. I had a, even a, a, a funding infrastructure in place because it was a manager who was connected to a sort of, you know, w was acting as a label of sorts yeah. too, right? So for better, for worse. I mean, there's there's ups and downs to those sorts of scenarios, but um, it, it, it was certainly a privilege in the sense that, like, I, I kind of had a foundation with or without Warner. But then, of course, the leverage that brought to have the machine behind the work. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not, but then again, I made a pretty non-commercial album as my second record. So, you know, I'm not sure they could have, you know, it might've been different if I really had gone full blown pop maybe, but I mean, we can always look back on our careers and, and question all of our decisions. I mean, the, the most important thing is always making decisions in line with your truth, with the data you have at that given moment. That's the best we can ever do in our lives, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think that in any given moment, you're just capable of creating the art that you're creating, yeah. right? There's actually, I have records or things where I'm like, oof, okay, that's not <laughs> it. Or like that production does not withstand the test of time, mm, but me too. you're operating within the resources that you have, the mindset that you have at that current time, the experiences you've accumulated, your own body and your own capacity to like show up. And so you can't really have any regret. All you can do is know that you can like re-record them and re-release them in the future. Which is kind of sick. Yeah, that that becomes an option for artists, you know? We all have the option to go back and do it better because now you're independent. So you've kind of transitioned from whirlwind catapult to really making records that feel very true at least from a listener's perspective that feel really complex in a great way in an exciting way to listen to but again like not straight ahead pop and so I'm curious how you navigated the system to be able to make the art that you wanted to make and and build the career you wanted to have and what's I guess I'll get to the next question next. Yeah, well, to me, um, good question. I, I think um, I owe that to both my own tenacity and courage and also um, the people in my life that have been uh, pivotal or crucial in helping me be str strong-willed and creatively, you know, now I think of people like Lenny Warrenka at Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. You know, I was signed by the man that signed Prince, okay? So he literally was the person that would have creative conversations with Prince around whether, you know, rec rec certain records, Crystal Ball, should it be a four disc or a three disc or two disc? You know, he would, yeah. he would have those conversations. He would, he would sit down with Prince and have to tell him, we don't have a single for urban radio. You need to go back and write one. And Prince would hang up on Lenny and say, that's your problem, not mine. You better make one of them work at urban radio. You yeah. know, but then the next day he came through and he, he wrote, um, get off, you know, mm -hmm. like as a response to, you know, say Lenny knows the mind and, and workings of an artist. I was blessed to be um, very close with a great mind like that at one of the biggest, you know, record labels. I am lucky that he saw me and that he saw from an early age that I was not going to be pushed into a box and that, you know, uh, he, he helped support my voice there, you know, he helped encourage me to speak my mind. Um, and I think it's easy to be like, you know, it was all me. Like I was just really tough and everything. And it's like, I mean, look, I, I was really tough, but, but I also had, you know, by 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 the grace of you know of of spirit, I, I think there were people put into my life to to help um, empower me, you know, um, and good friends, you know, good friends that 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 are not in the music industry that are like will tell mm -hmm. you the truth, that are like don't have an agenda, and you know, um, I, I think it was just always important to me that I could get on stage and um, mean what I said, um, sing from a place of true um you know sincerity authenticity so if there was ever an opportunity that came across you know my path that felt like I would have to in some ways compromise that or like sing a song that I genuinely thought was quite generic and didn't really add anything to the landscape and mm. quite frankly it was just a money grab it, it just wasn't exciting to me and truthfully 
your excitement is so sacred. It's yeah. the it's the child. It's the child that that gets in that sandpit and is like, oh, boy, that's red, and this one's blue, and if I put them together, they make this sound. And I don't care what's going on outside of the sandpit because this is the only thing that matters. And that little spark of pure wonder is so sacred to me because that's what I was shown as a kid. I was shown a portal into that. Say, you know this little ember that's burning in you? Mm. Hold on, because this will serve the world. This will help the world. But you got to keep it safe, right? So anything that came into my path that felt like I would have to throw away that ember or kind of put it in the corner, shut the door, it's like, oh my God, the cost of that to my well-being, it's not worth it. It's not worth it for all the money in the world, you know? Yeah, well, it's interesting. It kind of goes back to this like core tenant of success that maybe was the earliest version of it, which was, okay, I, I want to, to to serve people, to make a difference, is, mm. is what you said. Um, and it's like, I always classify songs like this, the, the kind of generic, it's like their air, it's like, they don't mm. really exist. They don't land. They don't resonate. They're kind of like candy. Mm. And candy can be good. And, and candy can that. be impactful. Totally. There's actually, uh, like, I think the best pop music is impactful candy. Mm -hmm. Right? If you Love can that. make that triangle and really, like... That's an art form. <laughs> it's, it, it's an art form, and it is one of the hardest art forms, in mm. my opinion. But, like, I've had so many opportunities or songs that I've written where I'm like... I can't really put my whole chest behind this. Mm. Is it worth it? I love that you compromise? said chest because chest is a great, you know, the chest is the, 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 you know, not only the armor, it's what we kind of, we, we, it shields our heart, our rib cage and our chest, but it also houses the most important organs and houses, like you said, the heart and where we probably imagine the soul to reside, you know, yeah. all of these things are in the chest. So I love that you used a embodied term for that because truthfully, when I, have to make decisions and I have had to do this we've all yeah. had to compromise uh, well yeah absolutely we've all had to compromise when I've done that literally what happens in my body and this happens in relationships too when I'm you know cowering or, or kind of giving in to something that I don't feel is truthful or, or something like this I cower I, I sorry I um yes I guess cower is the word hunch. uh hunch my yeah. chest down yes I pull I go con concave you know mm -hmm. rather than this so it's so funny you said it's something I can't put my chest into because that's actually exactly how I would talk about authentic creative work is that you can put your chest into it, you know? Um, and I just want to clarify as well, like doing things for money is not inherently wrong. It's not no. I, like m money. I had, there's this priest at this Episcopalian church that I've been going to services for every now and then. And she, she says, money is morally neutral. Mm-hmm. She's a badass. She's such a punk dude. I'll <laughs> tell you about her another time. But she says money is morally neutral. But we we like project our ideas onto money and we think, you know, the rich are evil because they're, you know, and, 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 and in some ways religion has been damaging in this way too because it has sort of, you know, there's even, you know, the scriptures about, you know, you can't love both money and God or whatever. But actually what the scripture says is the love of money that, that corrupts us. It's the love of, it's kind of the, the idolization of thinking that it is the be all and end all. Money yeah. itself is not wrong. Money is a resource and we need it as artists. We absolutely need the resource of finance. So what I'm referring to here is when one actively trades their soul or their authentic chest facing truth mm -hmm. <laughs> for the love of money, for the worship of money, right? Yeah. That's an exchange that I don't feel willing to. I feel the cost is too high in my own life. Yeah, absolutely. Same. But that being said, you said something really important. And I feel like on this podcast, I wind up talking about money a bunch because I feel like mm. in the music industry, you're so conditioned not to. Right? Yeah, it's, I know. It's, you, don't, you don't talk to money or points or splits with your collaborators. You don't talk and have transparent conversations about how your business runs with the people who work for you. But I have a theory that if everybody in the music industry actually just had transparent conversations about money, better understood how everyone's different businesses work, like a producer's business is different from a songwriter's business, is different from an artist's business, is different from a touring musician's business. Like mm. we all have different ecosystems surrounding how we sustain 
And if we all just were more transparent about that, we would have more healthy <sighs> conversations, negotiations, and relationships that could be more fulfilling yeah. to each. We could take better care of each other. Mm, that's a great way to put it. we would know more. Yeah, but it's awkward. People don't like awkward they situations. They don't like it. Yeah, oh, I trust me. I don't like awkward situations. And I think for musicians and artists, it's like you're considered less of an artist to be like, but not less of a, but less of a true artist or something. If you're like, oh, yeah. all right, let's talk about the business. All right, I'm going to mm -hmm. hook you up with my managers, all of that. It's like it immediately puts this vibe into the room of like self-awareness. Like there's other people, um, you know, you open up the intimacy of the, the small space and you widen it to say other people are involved in this and there's going to be money moving through hands. And it's, it's like it kind of threatens up people it, it, and and I felt that way too yeah. sometimes working with artists as soon as they bring in their people and start going through all the I'm like oh now why are you getting all businessy like can't we just stay in this like love bubble of art yeah um but but I'm trying to check myself with that too and realize that hey because we care so much about the art mm -hmm. because we have such reverence and respect for artistry as being so fundamental to our human flourishing yeah let's protect it by making sure we can all keep doing it exactly <laughs> by making sure we all can get paid so we can stay afloat and keep entering this beautiful love bubble of art yeah it's a tricky balance I have to say that I have gone through every extreme of that because I'm someone my brain is um so segmented right I have I forget if it's, I have the artistic side the creative side and then like the fucking rigid business like strategy. Do you, find that, do you find that serves you? As an independent artist, for sure. Mm, it's cool. I need it. Honestly. I respect the shit out of that. Yeah. I don't it's it's so interesting being ten years into an independent career, being like, oh, I actually wouldn't have survived without this duality. And I see so many artists, I actually want to talk about this because I know you're recently independent, who don't know how to navigate what it takes to build independently, especially from the ground up. It's like I had no resources. My team built slowly. You know, it was mm. like Applebee's tips funding the EPs. Like, I, you know, it was yeah, dude, a different game. Real. Yeah. Right. And so for me, it was vital. And then there's a cost to it. Right. There's a cost on both sides uh, where it fucks with the creative. So bad, bad business dealings with collaborators. I can't work with them anymore. It ruins the relationship because I'm like, yeah, you're right. There's no, um, we're not in the love bubble anymore. And I know I just can't afford it. Mm. So like, let's not do it, right? If if yeah. it's going to be this thing on the other side, I would rather just stay friends yeah, and, and not do it. So it is this balance yeah. of, and I've fucked it up so many times. We all have. And then because sometimes, but sometimes I've like, killed it and yeah. i've saved relationships yes, and i because you navigated it with good communication and you did yeah. it you learned from your mistakes and yeah now i do it way better good um but it is it is a, a tricky thing like how do you balance the the need to survive and sustain what you're doing with again this this is why it's like i always think of it it's like we have the art and we have the business and somehow we exist in between my friend calls it being bilingual yeah, absolutely. I really like that. It's like you're you're learning two languages. You speak both, you know? One is probably a little more sacred to you because it's the one you think in and dream in. Yeah. I feel like sometimes I have stress dreams about the other one, though. Mm, <laughs> nightmares, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nightmares about spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah. Well, so how has it been? So you've transitioned from, from Warner and, and now your fourth record, which is so beautiful, by the way. And I got to see it live, which makes me I, I love when I can experience records I love live and see it just expands the world for me I agree um how has the transition been to independence what was the decision behind it so Primal Heart was the third record and that was the last one I did with Warner so yes the fourth one A Reckoning was the first independent or you know it was distributed but there was no sort of label attached to the making of it or the um, the, the, you know, the, the big campaign push. It was very much a self-built team alongside management. Um, it's been all the things, truthfully. You know, it's been all the things. It's like, of course, it's very empowering to put out a record and feel like, wow, you know, th there there were no other voices in that room. I can be sure of that. It was me and the producer. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, that, was, that was the record, you know. 
That was cool, man. I've never had made a record where literally like there's no one breathing down my neck. It's just like do it, make it and show us and we trust you, you know, that that that's probably the voices of management that I'm echoing there. Um, and I did have a couple of different management teams across, you know, I was transitioning during that record, which was also extremely uprooting, you know, because you don't have a label and now you're also transitioning your direct team. Which, mm -hmm. And all of that is, you know, um, sort of, again, has, has, has brought to light um, my own agency. Um, we, we, we do get convinced as artists that we are in the hands of other people all the time and that we need other people to sustain our careers. We do that with with record labels, with managers, with, with even like our band, even our, you know, producers, of course, collaborators, songwriters, we, maybe not everyone, but I have fallen into the trap of believing I am sort of, um, you know, like, in need of permission a lot to do things. Mm -hmm. You feel me? Yeah. And I think getting really, to use the buzzword of the century, intentional about who is on my team, who, 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 who I work with, who I kind of keep in my close circle of friends, who, how I spend my time and choosing to spend more time in silence. I mean, truthfully, spiritual practice is woven into all of this because it's the foundation of life. Yeah, it's the way we walk through the world, <laughs> and that's spirit-related. So I can't rush over that part too. But in terms of you know just summarizing what the move to independence has been like, it's it's just brought up a lot of insecurities around self-worth, which have been important to mm -hmm. identify. Oh, am I still um, an important, relevant artist if I'm not signed to a major label? Who am I without the without the identity of you know, I'm signed to the label Prince was signed to. And every time I go there for meetings, I see his picture on the wall and I think, wow, I'm in these, you know, th that's yeah. a huge part of my identity, you know. Um, he's a big part of my career because he's also, you know, the person who I, I got a Grammy from. And like, you know, he listened to my record before he passed away and told me his favorite song and through Janelle Monáe, which is even more amazing. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, identity begins to calcify around these experiences you've had. I am important because mm -hmm. I am valuable because I am worthy because now when through the grace of spirit things fall apart yeah we have to rebuild again and we have to decide what's worth keeping and what needs to be let go of um, so that's how I would explain it truthfully it's been all the things the building up and the breaking down and I'm still in it girl yeah I mean it's a really long process I haven't had that particular experience but I know at the same time that all of this was happening you were also going through like similar personal losses you kidding yeah and so this idea of everything kind of crumbling and falling apart I am curious your experience with how much of that you take and you put into the record is it all of it is is the record a process of sussing out and trying to move through the grief right i'm assuming mm -hmm. is is a feeling that comes up when associated with loss of identity of relationship etc um do you keep any of that sacred is it just kind mm. of like all out there in the record Ooh, yeah that's a tricky one too because there is something to be said for holding some things back for yourself and you know now that i'm moving into being more of a sort of quote-unquote writer in the sense that, you know, I'd like to one day work on a book and doing a sub stack is kind of my first step toward that, right? There's Those questions arise there too. Is everything up for grabs? Do you write about everything? Yeah. Oh, no, I don't think that's wise or healthy or fair, you know, to, mm -hmm. to literally be a complete open book. I mean, that's sort of like almost like a martyr complex or something, isn't it? I will give yeah. it all away in service. It's like, this is a service, but part of the service is taking care of myself too, so I can be of service. <laughs> yeah. And it is not taking care of yourself to literally tell everyone everything. No. Now, the music, on the other hand, I have this great ability to play, which means, oh, I'll write about my life but I'll also decorate it with all these little things and these other little things that aren't true and then it'll make it into a new story, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's the fun. That's the part where you get to be a character. You know, is it a character? Yeah. 
no, it's a part of me. It's not a character. It's, it's me. But it's also an emphasized, exaggerated version of my reality. Why am I, why am I delving into that, that side of who I am? Because I'm determined to integrate it. Yeah. I'm trying not to annihilate parts of myself. I'm trying to bring them into the fold and embrace them and hold them as part of who I am. But I can't, I can't invite them into my house if I don't first find out their name. You know, I can't offer them a drink if I don't know what they like. What do you want to drink? Do you like tea? Do you like water? I have to get to know these parts of myself. And I do that through writing these songs that, that yes, explore grief in depth, explore rage, mm -hmm. explore fucking sex, explore um, love and sentimentality and romance and, and explore God and explore disbelief and cynicism, all of that yeah. is truthfully valid because it's a part of my experience. And so, yes, it does all get channeled, but you touched on an important point that not everything is for everyone and I don't owe everything to everyone. <laughs> so, so within that, I find ways to manipulate reality into something that feels um, like I can, you know, release it while while still maintaining a level of privacy and and um, care for myself. Yeah, the balance is so interesting because I, I I wrote a record about grief, right? It mm. was it was just and it was like a very specific like you know series of events like that remain relatively like private and then you make this whole world around it that is it's like this I literally I mean the records right there it's like I put a bag over a dude's head and murdered him and dragged him yes. into a lake dude right that shit was wild yeah and so it is like the most exaggerated version of like what does it take for me to let go mm. right because I will I will drag I will drag it out I will never leave um <laughs> right mm. and so this idea of actually embodying it and playing it out and literally dragging a body wrapped in a sheet was put your like, chest into it yeah exactly and it was like oh I remember when I recorded one of the visuals where I actually dragged the body there was Kevin was inside the sheet with a blanket <sighs> so I didn't hurt him um and the first time I did it too quick I was like too yeah. too excited too strong and I dragged him too fast and it, I remember noting that of like oh like we're we're moving through this like it, it felt like this weird channel to like how I was actually moving through like the process of making the record and all of the feelings I'm just like yes. okay we're making progress and then redo the take a bit slower and more uh dramatized but yeah these projects are these exaggerated versions of ourselves ultimately to provide a picture and a context for people to understand the real truth of the music that is universal yeah. right because a lot of the writing and a lot of the art isn't it actually wouldn't be more impactful if it was specific in my opinion hmm. it's like the idea of finding like the core emotion or the core resonance and then being able to share that into the world is what I find super exciting. And we often do that through getting specific. Yeah. You know, about the things that, that, that are integral to our own life. And you're right. We, we get to put a paper bag over them if we want, because that's our right as humans to be able to share, you know, how deep we go with friendships, with relationships, everything. But, you know, that's the tricky little paradox of it is that like sometimes the more specific and personal you get about something, you know, down to the color of your bra on the day that you kissed him mm -hmm. and what he smelled like and all of those things, like sometimes the more, <laughs> it's funny, you know, the, the more universal it is because you went there, you went to that M, that little seed of complete specificity that someone goes, I know that. Oh, I recognize that. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. been there. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't actually even matter if you were wearing a bra or not. The point is you went into the bra. You know, does that make sense? Like it, Absolutely. It doesn't matter so much whether every event actually took place. It's that you had the courage to paint a picture that detailed for people. That's love. Yeah. Detail. Attention to detail is love. Yeah, I love that so much. I'm just thinking all of my bras are black. 
every single one. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> There's no color variation. Yeah, I love that. Um, I get really excited when I talk to people because my brain, again, is so regimented in the business. So sometimes, like, tapping into all of these other things, I'm like, oh, yes, I remember. Mm. Um, especially now, I'm, like, prepping to go on tour. Yes. So it's like a whole different set of my brain. It's like it's it's a little less creative and it's more like, OK, we're in execution mode. But do you find that once you step on stage, though, all of that execution strategizing business stuff goes away? Goes, yeah. And isn't that the freedom of it that you mm -hmm. get a fucking break and you just get to like be an artist? Well, I think for me, that's the whole point. Yeah. Right. It It is that there's a lot of connection points that don't necessarily do it for me. I don't know if I would write music if I wasn't sharing that music. Like, I don't know if I would write it in oh, the same way. Yeah, okay. I think for me, I desire a, a, the whole process mm. from creation to strategizing to release to connection. That's cool. Right? And so those moments on stage, that's what I do it for. Yeah. It's like that's that's the moment. So, like, all of the hours I'm about to, like, start rehearsing and doing that alone is so that I don't have to think the best advice I was given early on was around that exact thing. Know why you're doing this. Yeah. And it was Janelle, who's one of my favorite artists in the, so the pop amazing. landscape. Yeah. And, and, and I've always, you know, we've, we've been lucky to sort of intersect paths a lot along the way. Um, even, you know, performing together. We had this tour that we were going to do all around Australia that she fell unwell and we weren't able to complete it. So it's kind of like this phantom tour that we, <laughs> it's crazy. But back in the day, she told me, you know, Know why you're doing this. Know your why. You know, that's what's going to keep you grounded through all of the craziness. And and I love that you are able to just articulate that. Like, you see yourself, you close your eyes, you see yourself on stage, and you see yourself doing the service. And and it's not just service to others. It's they are servicing you too. For sure. 100%. It's recipro reciprocal. And you see it, and you envision it, and you go, well, that's why. That's So now you know where you're headed. You're good. Yeah, it is understanding your direction because at the end of the day, it's like, again, you've had a really long career that is not going to end anytime soon from, from what you're saying. It's like it's mostly, if anything, branching out into like new territories, into new worlds, right? And so to have that longevity to encounter roadblocks and be like I need to I need to pivot or to, to have the stamina for what the next 10 years is is really you have to know why you're doing it like what the purpose is being at this point where you're branching out into like new mediums having this really holistic view of like yourself your project your career you're you're newly independent and able to like have this different agency like, what do you see the next five years of your project and life looking like? Like, does it change your your uh, trajectory for, for what you're aspiring to? I wrote a lot of music during COVID. I'm sitting on more music than I've sort of ever had, I think, in terms of, you know, real bodies of work that I believe in and that I, that I feel um, I can see the finish line for them. They're not this abstract bodies of work that I'm like, oh, I don't, it's like, no, I see exactly where that record's going. I see exactly how that record is going to react to that record. And I'm excited. To, I know the vision for that. I've, you know, I'm, I'm getting into, I like title my, er, my records before they're made now. It's like a new thing I'm doing. So I feel very clear on the music, um, trajectory because because truthfully I just want to keep learning about myself through the art and um, I see the the music as this sort of sacred opportunity to to delve deeper into different corners of the psyche and the soul alongside that I see the writing and the, the sort of podcasting or the the truthfully you know the the, the, the growth as a producer, with 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 ambitions to perhaps produce for other artists, all of that sits alongside the music as a way to kind of stay sane, you know, so that the music doesn't consume everything. Because the music is beautiful and, and it's 
deserves to be protected at all costs. So that requires me to have other outlets that mm. aren't all about. Do you feel me? Like, I think a, a life percent. that is only looking in one direction, you you become blinded to, to other perspectives, and so everything goes back into the art. The art is the whole point. Like, <laughs> that's that's what that's what I will leave behind when I go. So everything will eventually find its way back to being in the music in yeah. some way. But I see myself designing these other little um, entry points through various mediums that can that can help um, like fuel the fire, the flame of the music. Um, so f the next five years, well, I mean, look, I, I'm not prepared to go out on tour anymore if it's gonna be at the price of my own sort of sanity and mental health. I just, I've been doing this so long now and, and I just think there's so many, um, there's so many obstacles to well-being when you're a touring musician. It's so hard to stay afloat. Um, well, not only financially, but just, you know, physically and spiritually. So, you know, these days I'm very, sh very clear on what I would need to get back out on the road. Um, and so I don't believe that I'm in any way giving up live performance. I mean, I live and breathe live performance. It is my truthfully my food, but it has to be, it has to look different than it has, honestly. You know, it, it's just, um, I am coming to realize that there are some things that I can do and can give and there are some things I can't do and I can't give, you know, and and that's okay. And I have such a loving, thoughtful fan base that truthfully care about my well-being and truthfully will will sort of volunteer, hey, Kimberly, if you're the kind of artist that can't manage, you know, doing meet and greets for hours on end before a show, you know, with 60 people, then, then we love that you will take care of yourself and find another way to engage with your fans that gives you life and food as well. Oh, what a blessing, huh? To have people that, that truthfully are in it to see you flourish and sustain your artistry. Um, I have seen too many people burn out in this industry. I've seen too many people die in this industry. It's not, we're not playing. <laughs> we're playing with real lives, you know? I'm not, not prepared to risk, um, no, my own like sanity for uh, a tour. No, I just no, I won't anymore. And 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 I think anyone who has hit a rock bottom or brushed too close to the edge, you know, with their mental health knows that feeling where you, enough is enough, right? So, in some ways, it's been a blessing to have so many difficult moments because they have reinforced to me now what really matters. And so now I can align my life. And, you know, I'm talking like an like I've arrived. That's absolute bullshit. Of course not. You know, I've just s sort of started to identify. Because that's the first thing. That's, uh, you know, when the world first came to being, first there was the word, right? You name things. First of all, you name something. That's like the very first vibrational, you know, manifestation to the universe is sound and naming. Um, so that's what I'm doing, right? I'm naming the things that I care about that I want mm -hmm. identifying where I am simply not invincible yeah. as much as I want to be I want to be able to do it all I want to keep going 24 7 all the time but <laughs> we just it's it's okay to be human <laughs> yeah it's not possible to carry it all and I think identifying it for yourself is so so vital and important and I also love, I feel like what you're saying is very similar to like this concept that I've just had, which is kind of like a constellation. For a lot of emerging artists, I talk about it in terms of revenue streams, right? Mm. Because it's mostly people coming to me asking, how do I make a viable career out of music? And I'm like, you need a constellation of revenue streams that are wow, going to sustain you. Advice. And you can rank them by what you like doing most to what you like doing least, but at least you know that you have support yeah. and like a buoy but it's also for creative right it's you need a, a constellation of pursuits of things that you do that are everything from music which maybe is the primary to writing to podcasting to painting right whatever those things are and ultimately like all of that's going to sustain your soul and all those revenue streams are going to sustain your livelihood to be able to continue doing those things and so long as everything feeds back to the center of like 
well, what is your mis- mission? Like, why do you do what you do? Um, how do you do that in a way that feels good and resonates with you and ideally connects? It's like, you can't do any wrong. But it is, you have to name it. You have to be intentional. Otherwise, right, you're just shooting blanks. Yeah. And this is kind of a new concept, this idea of constellation thinking. I think it's a fantastic concept and it's the way forward. But when I was coming up in the music industry, that was not the, like, no, that was not the prescription. And look at the way record deals were even. Yeah. 360 deals. I was signed to a 360 deal and it was six albums that they later wanted to turn into eight albums, right? Damn. Yeah, so so even just looking at the way they, those things are structured, it's, it sends out the messaging of like a singular brand and a singular vision and a singular career and a singular revenue stream that's like, it's all coming from the music. Well, it's coming from a lot of things, of course, tour. Um, yeah, exactly, all of those things. But they're all kind of going to these singular spaces, which is yeah. record label and hopefully a little bit to the artist. And well, <laughs> and this was an Andrew. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. a whole but, separate yeah, that's conversation. That's a whole other thing. But, but what I'm saying is it's, it still drives home the idea that like, we are signing you, signing you to be a musician and you're going to go forth and pursue like this kind of singular vision. I guess one hopes that if they kind of make it as a musician, that then they get the opportunity to branch out. But I think it's almost like we were we were taught it the wrong way. We were taught that you have to have your massive success first, and then you can write a book, and then you can mm-hmm. start the Kelly Clarkson show, and then you can start your podcast, and then you're, and like maybe that is the way it works. But what I'm observing, even from just observing your career, you know, and how you've kind of set up your world, you don't have to do it that way. You can you can set up the constellation first and then maybe one of those things will take off and mm, that's sick if they do yeah Yeah. totally hopefully but you don't need them to no because you've got you feel me you don't need it to actually take off in order to sustain yourself it's great if it does but that's a very different way of thinking to putting all your eggs in one basket and pushing for that spaceship into space Mm -hmm. and then hopefully checking out mars and venus and, and jupiter while you're up there if you get up there it's like why don't we just what do they say? Shoot for the stars. And if you don't land in the stars, what do they say? There's a quote. I can't I have remember. No idea. I- <laughs> we'll Google it afterwards. Okay. <laughs> it, that is really interesting. I, I think I view it in terms of foundation building. Um, there, it, while the, the spaceship all the way up, you know, one, I love how we can draw on my couch. Um, like, you know, the r- major label trajectory of you got one shot, you have one path, you have one vision, you make it or you don't. Mm-hmm. Right. It's mm-hmm. very much singular. It is binary. It's black and white. Whereas because it's worked for them and you can't blame the thinking in a way. I mean, it does work a lot of the time. Works for them. Doesn't work for what is it? It's 80% of artists si- signed to major labels, right? Or whatever yep. the stat is. But if you view it, from like a foundation perspective, which it sounds like you do, and I have really by choice, I never really had the spaceship trajectory option, or I did and I didn't take it, which Mm. is a, again, different conversation. But building things as a foundation, it's like, oh, we can just build up pillar by pillar, pillar by pillar, less chance of falling, Mm. right? And if you fall, you're falling back a step. You're not like plummeting from space. That's great. So it is, it is interesting. I'm really excited for, to like see this chapter of, of everything you're doing from the writing to the podcasting to whatever music comes. So I thank you so much for joining. Thank you for opening spaces to have these sorts of conversations. I'm in admiration of, you know, the way you navigate both the creative stratosphere and, and the very grounded, nitty gritty strategy of business that's not an easy thing to do a lot of people shy away from it and let other people do it for them and i can see that you are not that person so no no and i I think that's very admirable so props yeah well thank you so much for coming this is we're now done i had fun that was great yeah that was so great Anatomy of the Notice is a podcast recorded and edited by me, Verite, produced by Vanessa Nobles and myself.